Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I hope you've been out walking today trying to walk some of that turkey and dressing off. <laughs> I've had to do that. A great feast on Thanksgiving Day. We had a great Thanksgiving. All the children, they were at their different other families. You know what I'm talking about when they get married. Those mates want to have them come for Thanksgiving or Christmas. Well, I hope that you had a good time at your house, and we're so glad to have you along. We have some very important reports coming in. Winky Madad's going to update us on the Israeli elections. Boy, it looks like they're going to third elections. And then Itamar Marcus will talk to us about the Day of Rage by the Palestinian people. Very interesting developments there in Israel. So stay tuned for that. Right now, though, we go to Ken Timmerman. He's the man who looks at geopolitical activities for us. Ken, how was your Thanksgiving day? Oh, it was great, Jimmy. We uh, spent it at our church in prayer and Thanksgiving and a wonderful feast. But thank you for asking. Yes. Have you been out exercising since? Or did... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's a terrible time. And, and, and fasting before and after. <laughs> fasting before and after. Hey, that's a great idea. Well, uh, you know, I had the turkey and dressing at about uh, 2.30 in the afternoon, and then at uh, 6.30 I had my traditional turkey sandwich and the dressing. So <laughs> you got to finish off the day in good mm -hmm. form. Well, I hope I'm going to stay in good form after all that wonderful meal. Ken, let's get underway. We've got a lot of conversation to have about geopolitical activities. Number one, it seems like Iran is posed to strike the United States and Israeli targets. U.S. troops are massing there at the Syrian-Iraqi border, and the USS Lincoln, a carrier, has moved with this group into the Persian Gulf. Boy, things are seemingly heating up, aren't they? Well, things are heating up in a very interesting series of events. Uh, you mentioned the USS Abraham Lincoln. Well, they moved, this is the U.S. aircraft carrier and a carrier strike group. So that's, you're talking like 15 ships. So they moved in to the Persian Gulf. They transited the Strait of Hormuz on the 19th of November. And guess what? Nobody heard a peep out of the Iranians when they did so. The Iranians for months have been saying they will not allow the U.S. to bring warships in the Persian Gulf. <clears throat> and guess what? When we finally do so, they don't do anything because they're faced with that 80,000 tons of diplomacy, as our carriers have frequently been called in the past. It's a very daunting thing to see. You know, I, I had the experience of being on the USS George Washington a number of years ago off the coast of Kuwait. And you could see, we could see even then, uh, Iranian F-14s taking off from their bases inside Iran, hugging the Iranian coastline, but knowing that the U.S. was out there, they did not dare to venture out into the Persian Gulf. And they are not daring to venture to challenge the USS Abraham Lincoln or that car carrier strike group. However, what we are going to see, I think, in the coming weeks is more tension in Syria, specifically along the Syria-Iraq border, where the United States in the past couple of weeks, again, very, very quietly, has been beefing up our military positions. Uh, the U.S. forces now are reported to have built two new bases close to the Iraq-Syria border, uh, and the Israelis are, are also reported to have made uh, airstrikes against Iranian targets not too far away. Uh, this is against the backdrop where the chief of CENTCOM, the U.S. Central Command, uh, General Kenneth McKenzie, uh, has been talking to uh, Israeli forces where 
uh, General Mark Milley, the chairman of Joint Chief of Staff, has actually been talking to the Israeli Chief of Staff, uh, General Kohati. So there's a U.S.-Israeli tactical alliance, in, in addition to our overwhelming strategical alliance with Israel. We now have the U.S. and Israeli militaries tactically engaged on the battleground in Syria to counter Iran. That's a really big deal. And uh, the Iranians are very nervous about this. And, uh, you know, the General McKenzie said, we expect the Iranians to do something. Ken, I've heard that the Kurds are also going to be involved with the United States there. Is, is that true or just rumor? Well, we have been involved with the Kurds. This wouldn't be new. I think you're referring to the, the Vice President, Mike Pence, you know, on his recent trip to Iraq. Instead of going to Baghdad, he went to Erbil in uh, Iraqi Kurdistan and talk with Kurdish leaders there. So, yes, the United States wants to have a strong relationship with the Kurds. Uh, you know, all of this, Jimmy, just go back three or four weeks, people are saying, we abandoned the Kurds. No, we haven't abandoned the Kurds. And this is, yet again, another piece of evidence to show that the U.S. wants a strong relationship with the Iraqi Kurds, with the Syrian Kurds, because they understand that they are a, a potentially very strong ally, not just against ISIS, but also against the Islamic State of Iran. Ken, what do you know about Iran, Russia, and China to hold joint war games? And they say it's going to be a message to the world. What do you know about that? Well, indeed, and that's been announced for some time. Uh, I am uh, going to be watching this very carefully, Jimmy, to see if it actually takes place, because with this, uh, with the U.S. Uh, carrier battle group in the Persian Gulf, I would be a little surprised to see the Russians and the Chinese holding naval exercises with the Iranians across from that U.S. carrier battleground. But we'll see. Uh, this has been something that the Iranians have been dreaming of for years because it would uh, show the world a message that they now have two very powerful allies, not just diplomatic and economic partners, as China and Russia have been for a long time, but now military allies. That's new. So if these war games take place while the U.S. aircraft carrier is still in the Persian Gulf, that would be a tremendously dramatic escalation of tensions. My guess is the Russians and the Chinese are going to say, let's wait till the Americans leave. Well, I'm somewhat of a China watcher, have been all along the time because of my study of Scripture. And the vile judgments recorded there in Revelation chapter 16, verse 12, to be exact, the kings of the east. And, of course, that would include red China. But I understand that China is in a bid to try to replace the United States' influence in the Middle East. Is that pretty much on target? Uh, they are. And, and they are making uh, inroads in many different countries. Uh, they're working militarily. Uh, they're working economically. They're trying to build 5G telecom networks. Uh, all of this is part of what they call the Belt and Road Initiative. But they are very definitely offering their money. They have a tremendous amount of cash, surplus cash, over uh, $2 trillion from those that, by the way, it's mostly U.S. cash because they've been ripping off the United States for all these years. So this is that U.S.-China trade imbalance that President Trump wants to walk back. But they've got all of this cash built up, even though their economy has uh, been suffering this year, and they're throwing it about in the Middle East to buy friends and allies. And yes, that's what this is. That's what's going on. The Chinese are trying to become a power in the Middle East in a way that they never have been able to before. 
I know that they've uh, made approaches to Iraq in order to see if they could help them first financially and then through military armament at the same time. However, it's such a bad situation on the streets of Iraq, and I understand on Friday I got word that the prime minister of Iraq had resigned. What's that situation? Yes, he was. He had offered his resignation on Friday to the uh, Iraqi parliament. They he, He's done this once before, and they didn't accept it. This time it looks like he quite possibly might. This came after, on Thursday night, the Iraqi people burned the Iranian consulate in Najaf, burned it to the ground. Over 100 people have been killed, many of them by Iranian snipers who've been brought into Iraq, Hezbollah snipers from Lebanon, brought into Iraq, positioned on rooftops. The same kind of technique that the Iranians themselves use, by the way, uh, when people protest in Tehran and other cities that they've been in the past couple of weeks. But this is a big development. The Iraqi people have shown they are fed up with Iran's influence in Iraq, with Iran running their government, with Iran ripping off their country, their, their banks, uh, basically all of their infrastructure. The Iranians are riding roughshod over the Iraqi economy, and Iraqis are rising up in protest, and the Iranians aren't quite sure what to do. Yeah, that's going to be a... Very important situation to keep an eye on. Again, when you think about Bible prophecy, uh, that's Revelation chapter 18 and the destruction of Babylon, which is, of course, modern-day Iraq. On the same page as I read that additional news about Iraq, I read that Iran is to have a nuclear weapon in a few months. Now, we keep hearing this back and forth. What's true? What's not true on this, Ken? Well, what's true is that the Iranians, by busting through the taps of the Iran nuclear deal, at least publicly now, they may have been busting through them before and we didn't know it, but now we know publicly they're busting through the enrichment caps. Uh, they now have uh, uh, hundreds of kilograms of 20% enriched uranium, and people don't always realize that, but once you get up to 20%, you're basically 90% of the way to a bomb. So it doesn't take a lot more enrichment to go from 20% up to the 93% that they would need for a nuclear warhead. Uh, so Iran is continuing to uh, enrich more 20% uh, uranium. Uh, that gives them the ability to quickly break out of the non-proliferation treaty should they decide to do so, or just ignore it entirely and assemble nuclear warheads. The key thing is how much fissile material do they have? And right now the answer is we don't know. But we do know that they're getting very close. This arm material is 90% of the buck. Uh, uh, but they have 20%, and, and that is so close to bomb-grade material that uh, really they could bust out in a matter of weeks. And I know what Israel has said. If they see that is the capability and it's reality, they're going to do a preemptive strike. We'll have to watch for that to happen as well. Ken Timmerman, the man who covers geopolitical activities for us, par excellent always. Thank you so much, Ken. And do some more exercise, buddy. I'm going to be out there. <laughs> we got to work this Thanksgiving dinner off. But thank you so much. We'll have another conversation next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. God bless we're going to take a break when we come back. I've got David Dolan standing by. He's going to give us a Middle East news update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. By the way, when you're at my website, go to my Prophecy Bookstore. A special deal for Christmas from Prophecy Today. We have the Prophetic Book Essential 3-Pack. Now, that is great because these three books are essential for your understanding of Bible prophecy. The book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, and the book of Revelation. Those are the three books. I have commentaries written on all three of these, the most important books in the Bible prophetically because all other prophetic passages of Scripture dovetail into these three books. Each one addresses God's plan for a different strand of the human family. Daniel for the Gentiles, Ezekiel for the Jews, and Revelation for the Christians. In this special offer, you will receive my studies of these three special books, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation, Daniel, a prophet to the Gentiles, Ezekiel, the man in the message, and Revelation, a chronology. Normal price, $45. We're going to give it to you for only $30. Let me remind you to buy right now. And by the way, when you're thinking about it, please prayerfully consider making us a part of your end-of-the-year giving. Those who partner with us keep the ministry of Prophecy Today moving forward. To donate your tax-deductible gift, please visit prophecytoday.com forward slash partners or call us at 8-PROPHECY-8, that's 877-674-3298. And thank you very much. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. We had a great Thanksgiving. Hope that you and your family had a good time of sweet fellowship. And you know, of course, how you spell fellowship, F-O-O-D. Yes, food is a part of our Thanksgiving activities. And then the football game afterwards. I'm too old for the football game, but I could sure participate in the food for this Thanksgiving. David Dolan standing by to give us a Middle East news update. As I promised, David, first most important question, did you have a good Thanksgiving? I did, Jimmy. Uh, very cold where I'm at, much below freezing, but watching the lake freeze over and eating turkey with friends and family, it's always a special day to give thanks for all the good things that God has given us. And even the things that aren't so good, he's still a good God. He is good God all the time, all the time. He's a good God. Well, let me get into the issues I want to cover with you, David. The Jordanians have been holding a military exercise in preparation for a war with Israel. What do we know about that, and how key is this? Well, again, Jimmy, we've seen the relations between Israel and Jordan deteriorate over the past uh, several years, really. We've seen more and more hostile statements coming out of Amman against uh, Israeli actions. Of course, strong condemnation of Prime Minister Netanyahu's declaration that Israeli communities in the Jordan Valley would be annexed to Israel, that Israel would never uh, leave that valley, which, as you pointed out a few weeks ago, is considered to be the front-line defense for Israel. We have not just Jordan to the east, right along the border, but a little bit beyond that is Iraq, and then, of course, Iran, uh, Israel's great enemy, 
and their forces are on the uh, Iraqi border with Syria and with Jordan, so not far away. It seems like the Jordanians are trying to stand in the middle. Um, the Israelis really are not expecting any sort of attack from Amman, but they are worried that if there is an attack by Iran, that Jordan might feel pressed to get in on the side of Israel's enemies. That's, of course, exactly what happened in 1967 during the Six-Day War when the late King Hussein wanted to stay out, or so he later said, but felt pressured by Egypt and Syria and the Soviet Union to get in and did join in on that war and, of course, lost Judea and Samaria, the West Bank of the Kingdom of Jordan, as it was called in Jordan, lost that to Israel, and that remains uh, a hot issue today. You know what's so interesting is that King Abdullah has to understand what's happening in Israel, all the surrounding activities, because of the fact that there are so many Palestinians. I think about 75% of the population of Jordan would be Palestinians, and the king there needs to understand, have the wisdom of his father, King Hussein. King Abdullah has to know what's going on and make decisions based upon that, doesn't he? Well, he does, Jimmy, and uh, he's probably encouraged. We did have the reports this week that Hamas is uh, in peace negotiations, or at least a lack of hostility negotiations, not real peace, with Israel. Qatar very much involved with that, and the Turkish president, Tayyip Erdogan, is supposedly leading all that. And uh, we did have, for the third Friday in a row, no demonstrations down in the Gaza Strip. I say demonstrations. It's really been rioting and throwing of Molotov cocktails and even shots, et cetera, at Israeli forces stationed along the border. But uh, we're hearing that the Egyptians are very much involved and that a peace treaty may come about, or at least, again, a cessation of hostilities, followed by Palestinian elections. Now, the Jordanians would welcome that very much. The Israelis have mixed reactions because reportedly part of that, Jimmy, is that Hamas would be once again allowed to have political activity in Judea and Samaria in the West Bank, of course, right next to Jerusalem and right above Tel Aviv and the national airport there, Ben-Gurion Airport, Hamas getting a foothold back in, but pledging, according to reports we're hearing, that they will stop attacking Israel. Well, you have to take that with a grain of salt. But some hopeful news there, and the Turks are apparently pushing this, Jimmy, because Iran is in such trouble right now, uh, rioting in Iraq, rioting in Lebanon, anti-Iranian activities going on there, and of course all the upheaval inside Iran over the past 10, 12 days, the hundreds killed and the government there, the regime brutally repressing that. If Iran loses Hamas as a reliable ally, then that will affect the chances that Israel and Iran will go to war. So things are looking up for Israel, looking down for Iran. However, the Israelis are very aware that often when you feel cornered, as Iranian leaders do right now, you lash out. That's the exact time when you do try to divert attention by a launching hostility. So I can say, and this is from first-hand information I'm getting from Israeli security sources, that they are not relaxing at all. They're still expecting Iran's going to try to do something. Hezbollah still firmly in their pocket. And, of course, uh, King Abdullah right in the middle there, Jordan, right in the middle of all these hostilities going on around them. That's great hopeful news there, David. But in light of that, and I'll have a full report from Itamar Marcus in a moment. 
about the day of rage the Palestinians put on earlier in the week. There's still some very tense activity happening in Israel among the Israeli-Palestinian conflict participants. Well, there is, Jimmy. And again, at the very least, we might have a cessation of rocket fire for a time. We're not talking about a real peace or anything like that. The Palestinians, of course, very much opposed to Mike Pompeo's declaration that the United States recognizes Israeli communities in Judea and Samaria as legitimate. This is part of Israel's biblical heartland, that this is disputed, not occupied territory. They very much hate that. And as you said, they had uh, rioting throughout Judea and Samaria in some Israeli cities and down in Gaza on this day of rage earlier in the week. And then some more rocket fire and Islamic Jihad, the pro-Iranian group uh, very much supported by them in Gaza, is not part of these uh, supposed uh, peace talks going on. So uh, the situation is not uh, dramatically altered just a little bit less pressure from the Gaza border, but still overall a lot of uh, tensions there. And with those tensions going on, I can still give another positive report, and that is the fact that tens of thousands, I said uh, tens of thousands, probably up into fifty or 60,000 Jews coming to Hebron to celebrate Abraham purchasing not only a homestead there, it says in the 13th chapter of the book of Genesis, that's where he went to build the oldest Jewish community. But then in the 23rd chapter of Genesis, he purchases the burial site for the patriarchs. Good report coming out of Hebron over these last couple of days. Well, it is, Jimmy. And, you know, we know from the Bible that when the Jews returned from Babylon, they did so with a with a rake and a hoe in one hand and a weapon in the other hand, the opponents of the Jewish state were strong then. They were strong in King David's day. They were strong in 1948, 67, 73, 82, 91, all the wars we've had. And since then, the two uprisings, Israel's enemies remain there, and they will remain there. But the people of Israel returning to their ancient biblical heartland, just as the Scriptures said, and Hebron, of course, the first place where King David reigned, a very important place where the patriarchs and matriarchs are mostly buried, and the Jewish community continues to grow there. That is a great report. We want to stay on top of what's happening in Hebron. It's the second most sacred location in all of Judaism, second only to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Well, there is a report the prime minister is saying that whatever is necessary, he's going to deal with that as it relates to Iran. They're watching very closely Iran poised to strike the United States' Israeli targets with the carrier group moving into the Persian Gulf. Israel has to be on the alert as it relates to Iran, don't they? Absolutely, Jimmy. The Iranians continue to vow. We had a statement from the Revolutionary Guards leader this week that any quote, enemies of the Islamic State will be defeated, will be destroyed. They continue to prepare for war, no question about it. And like I said, they feel wounded right now with internal rioting going on. The young Iranians in particular not happy with this oppressive regime. And uh, the way that they've dealt with it before is to lash out, and that's what the Israelis are expecting. They're not uh, relaxing their guard at all at this moment. And their proxies there in southern Lebanon, Hezbollah. And in the Gaza Strip area, you're talking about Islamic Jihad. They're another proxy for the Iranians. They have to watch both north and south as this situation is concerned. 
Well, they do, Jimmy, and Hamas will probably be drawn in, even if there is some sort of a temporary peace. Uh, they'll probably be drawn into any war, and the Israelis know that. So, uh, again, they're on full alert and have been for some time now. Chances of this happening very high. David Dolan, the man who does this for us here on Prophecy Today, with much experience as a journalist in the Middle East over 35 years in that position. That's why we go to him for all that we need to understand. Current events in this region of the world, key as we look at the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless We're going to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad standing by. He's going to give us an update on the Israeli elections. What's going on? Are they going to a third election? And I'll ask him about the United States policy change on the settlements. That's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hope that you had a great Thanksgiving with your family and a wonderful meal. And don't forget, you better do some walking in these next couple of days to see if you can work off some of that delicious meal you had for Thanksgiving. We're here in Chattanooga because we're going to be here Monday through Thursday The School of Prophets Conference is underway. We'll be in Chattanooga. We're located in a beautiful motel there on the shores of the Tennessee River. You can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. You can find out information. Still time for you to come there at the website. The banner up top, the rotating banner, will tell you all the information you need, how to get here, what the times will be, what the schedule. Dave, James, and I are speaking David speaking on the issue of God's plan through the ages, and I'm finishing up my third part of going through the entire Bible and looking at the prophetic passages. By the way, we'll stream this out there. You can get on to our streaming operation. Just go to the website, get all the information, prophecytoday.com. Well, as promised, Winky Madad is joining us. We're so glad to have him, but I understand we have some competition because Winky has been made famous. He has a five-part video series as well. It's on YouTube. Winky, can I get you to send me the link to that so that our people can watch it as well? Sure, Jimmy. Uh, I was interviewed, and they broke it up into five short sections. I sit down at the tell where you and I have been many times in the past. 
I talk about Shiloh, archaeology, and then extend the discussion to issues of why Jews should be in the land of Israel and living in the communities throughout Judea and Samaria. Well, I called you today, Winky. I wanted to talk about the Israelis being in uncharted territory politically and wanting to know when in the world were you going to be able to bring forth a prime minister. My question is, I want understanding of how this is all going to come together with the mandate now going to the Knesset to see if one of the Knesset members can form a coalition. Both Benny Gantz, the opposition leader of Blue White Party, and Benjamin Netanyahu of Likud have not been able to do it. Is there any chance they could do that in the Knesset, giving those Knesset members a chance to form a government? Well, Jimmy, at the present moment, as we've been discussing in the past, none of the two major contenders uh, to be prime minister were able to muster the necessary 61 majority votes in our Knesset, which has 120 seats. Current Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu tried, was unsuccessful. Benny Gantz, as you said, the leader of the Blue and White faction, also was unsuccessful. As per law, the Knesset now has another 21 days, if I'm not mistaken. This happens when we have this standoff, and it's for the purpose of sort of pressurizing everybody to sort of compromise better or to find a third candidate who will then garner together 61 of the necessary votes. What everybody on the opposition side to Mr. Netanyahu and his Likud-led bloc are banking on is that there will be pressure on Netanyahu to step aside and let someone else from the Likud take over. This is not going to happen, I can assure you. Either Benny Gantz consents to having Netanyahu for the first two years, and if he is uh, found guilty, then he will have to resign. A simple indictment does not force him to resign, and we'll get on with the business. It's Mr. Gantz's problem and responsibility to compromise, and we're waiting for that. Well, do you think they're ever going to compromise? Why this divide? Why can't they come together? If these just two political parties came together in a coalition, uh, they could have that unity government. As you observed, Jimmy, both of them have between them over 100 seats without any other party. Well, with, with, the, with the, the block that they, each of them have. But even if they went only by themselves, one has 30 five, another has 32 or something like that, they still are over 60, as you properly observed. However, Mr. Netanyahu is committed to bringing with him his coalition partners in the former government, uh, which were right-wing parties, nationalist parties, religious parties, ultra-orthodox parties, and they stood by his side. Netanyahu, as far as I understand, is not going to chuck them and leave them in the lurch, as to say. And so what's happening is we realize that the only problem of the blue and white faction is they don't want Netanyahu. In other words, they're willing to go to a unity or coalition with the could, as long as they're the head and as long as Netanyahu is not involved. Well, Likud and the other parties are not willing. They said that we went to elections with Netanyahu. He's our candidate. He has 10 years of experience. He's been very successful. 
his judicial or legal problems can be taken on and dealt with while he's prime minister. The law does not force him to resign. And so it's up to Gantz to be the one who has to compromise. You know, Winky, there's an excellent Israeli journalist, Carolyn Glick. She says that the corrupt prosecutors have targeted Prime Minister Netanyahu, and these prosecutors are the one trying to bring him down. Is that pretty much on target, or is the Prime Minister really guilty, or do you know? Well, first of all, Jimmy, there were four cases, one of which has already been dropped. There was something called the submarine affair. So in other words, 25% of what the prosecutors wanted to charge him with is gone now. They have made errors. They have pressured witnesses unfairly. Uh, they have turned people into state's witnesses by illegal means. They have uh, taken phones from Netanyahu advisors and aides without telling them they have the right to refuse to hand over their phones to look for extra material. Both the state attorney and the prosecutor, state prosecutor, have a semi-apologized or at least admitted they've been errors, but they continue on their way. Uh, there have been demonstrations this past week, as we speak, Jimmy, uh, in support of Netanyahu. And so Caroline is correct in pointing out that in the past, the politicians have been targeted by ideological left-wing people in the prosecutor's office. And in many cases, they have failed to bring a conviction. Mm. And so we're talking about not a Netanyahu saying, I'm guilty, but I'm not guilty. <laughs> He's saying, not only am I not guilty, but it's unfair to charge me with these crimes because they are not crimes. And so soon we'll go to court and we'll find out. I don't think the people want to be have their prime minister hijacked for two years or more, embroiled in legal battles, and then find out later that he wasn't guilty and we threw him out of being prime minister. Uh, if they have to go to a third election, which looks very viable as a possibility, if they're going to have a prime minister and even maybe have Prime Minister Netanyahu continue on, to whose advantage would it be to go through these third elections? Jimmy, I don't think it's to anybody's advantage. If we had two elections in which more or less, within a few percentage points, people voted the same way they did twice, I really don't know if any politician would gamble on them voting differently enough. And so if I was a betting man, which I'm not, Jimmy, I would say it'll turn out more or less the same. Uh -huh. uh, so it's all incumbent upon the politicians if they really are concerned about spending so much money on elections, to make a coalition agreement with Netanyahu and then find out what happens later. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a great plan. Well, before I let you go, your comments on the U.S. policy change on the settlements that they are now legal. What are your thoughts? Jimmy, the communities of Jews living in Judean Samaria were always legal. Back in 1978, the State Department legal advisor Hansel made up some legal gibberish without any sourcing, without any footnotes, without any ar real arguments that lawyers can deal with. And that was the situation. Uh, I have, uh, re on my blog uh, a couple of years ago, I found out that Albright, Secretary of State Madeleine Albright, admitted they're legal. President Reagan admitted they're legal. 
It was just the Democrats and some of the left-wingers in the State Department who tried to uh, promote the idea that there is somehow illegal rather than, at the worst, disputed. And so what Mr. Pompeo and his uh, staff did was simply return things to truth. I would even say God's truth. Hmm. But uh, for you and I, that's enough. But for lawyers, it's, it's also true that the Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria are legal. They've always been. And anything that has been illegal has been previous Arab occupations of that land, especially the Jordanian occupation, which no one really remembers today or recalls. Well, praise the Lord for God's word, which is the absolute on any issue, but in particular, this issue as well. Winky, thank you so much for being available. Always great to have a conversation. Your insight is so right on target. Appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll have more conversations down the way. Thank you, Winky. Jimmy, thank you for the opportunity to talk. Goodbye to you and our listeners. Very interesting conversation with Winky Madad talking about the situation in the political arena. Still not quite sure what's going to happen a bit up in the air. We'll continue to cover that story with Winky and with others as well. Well, right now we're going to stay in that part of the world. We're going to Itamar Marcus. Itamar Marcus heads up palwatch.org. Now that's their headquarters located on the internet, palwatch.org, I get a almost sometimes daily report from Palestinian Media Watch, and he keeps me updated on what's happening. You go to palwatch.org, you'll be able to sign up for that uh, email news alert as well. Itamar, thank you for being available. We had a little bit of a mix-up in our communications, but we caught you. We're so glad to be able to do that. On last Tuesday, the Palestinians were involved in a day of rage. Can you tell us and those listening in, what is that day of rage? Well, over the years, the Palestinian Authority calls for days of rage when there's something political that happens that they want to protest. What's significant is that whereas certainly protest is as legal and accepted around the world, they call for violence, they call for rage, and they encourage people to be violent. I'll give you an example. One of the Palestinian leaders, in discussing this day of rage, said, we have to escalate the confrontations. Another one used the terminology, we have to have it escalate till it leads to a full-fledged intifada. Now, intifada is a Palestinian euphemism for terror campaign, We've had two intifadas, one of them in which 200 Israelis were killed, and one of them in which 1,100 Israelis were killed. Well, literally, the Palestinian Authority does, I would call it, fits the precise definition of a terror organization. A terror organization is an organization that uses violence in order to achieve political gain. That's exactly what they do. They call for days of rage and violence and terror or they, in their euphemism, intifada, when they want political gain. And what was the political gain at this point? This was in response to a statement by the United States government and the Secretary of State that settlements are not illegal. Israeli settlements in Judea and Samaria are not illegal. And in response to that legitimate political statement, you can agree or disagree, the Palestinian Authority is calling for violence. And again, like I say, this is so important because it's not just a day of rage, it is typical of a terror organization to call for violence to achieve a political goal. 
Well, I understand that even they closed the schools so that Palestinian children could participate. I mean, everybody's all in on this day of rage, correct? Absolutely. That is absolute child abuse. You're taking children out of school in the middle of the day for an hour in order that they can go out and participate in marches and protests. Very often these things turn violent. Very often there are injuries. And they closed the entire school system. This is the Ministry of Education. Uh, and I might point out the Ministry of Education of the Palestinian Authority is funded virtually completely by the European Union, the British government, and a few other governments. So these countries that are putting their money into educating Palestinian youth should be aware, we have to notify them, that the Palestinian Authority takes those kids out of school and the Ministry of Education that they're funding feels it's worthwhile to go out and be violent and not learn. Itamar, you've explained what the Day of Rage was, and it's going to be, of course, I'm sure, down the line as well as another operation of the Palestinian people. My question to you Was this day of rage effective in any way, or will it be? It was effective in bringing people to the streets. There are a few thousands of people in the streets. There were a certain amount of riots. It's not going to be effective politically for a number of reasons. First of all, the international community is so busy with other issues. The United States is is busy with its its own uh, impeachment issues. Israel is busy with our elections and, and trying to form a government and our own legal cases of our prime minister. So people are focused on, on other things. There are also are much more serious military issues in the region. Israel is facing aggression from Iran, Syria. In Iraq, there are riots and people are being killed all the time. Uh, in Lebanon, there are riots going on. The Palestinian population, or I would say what, what the Palestinian Authority likes to call the Palestinian issue, is really not on anyone's front burner at this point. It is such an irrelevant issue. The Palestinian Authority has proven to be unfaithful in, in everything it's done, and I think everybody has given up on them. Certainly Israel has, the United States has, the Arab countries as well have, uh, have really just given up on them. So they're trying to create some kind of focus. If everybody is rioting and there's this violence and people are making getting news stories, they were probably hoping for a little bit of focus, a little bit of news, a little bit of attention. But like I say, there are much, much more serious issues going on right now, and they did not achieve what they wanted. Itamar, while I've got you on the line, I want to ask you about another of the newsletter alerts, the email alerts that you send out to those of us who've signed up for them. The Palestinian media saying that Prime Minister Netanyahu is a Nazi, a student of Goebbels. Explain what they're meaning by that, calling him a Nazi. And I understand they called you a Nazi as well. Yes, they did. They said a couple of months back when we succeeded in getting Jibril Rajoub, Jibril Rajoub's head of the Palestinian Authority Sports Authority, and he was head of their, their national soccer team. Uh, we succeeded in having him suspended for a year from the international football organization, FIFA, from that position because of his terror promotion. And he was so upset when this happened that he went on TV and he said that Palestinian Media Watch, my organization, is on an all-out war against him. And he said the director, which is me, is um, is the Goebbels of the 21st century. And he pointed out Hit- this is Hitler's uh, propaganda minister. So, And now he has done this to Netanyahu. He said that Netanyahu was a student of, of Goebbels. Whenever anybody says something that they don't like, has a policy that they don't like, instead of analyzing the policy, expressing proper criticism, 
uh, the Palestinian Authority demonizes. And one of their favorite demonizations of Israeli leadership is to call Israeli leaders Nazis, uh, and in this case, students of Nazis, uh, uh, a student of the propaganda minister of, uh, of Hitler. Well, why then is this propaganda going out? What do the Palestinian people hope to gain in their struggle for statehood? Uh, they hope to come out of this positive in some way, shape, or form? That's such a great question, Jimmy, and I'll tell you why I feel, I really feel that question. We have been warning the international community about Palestinian statements like this and Palestinian actions and Palestinian terror promotion and terror support and funding terrorists for almost since the beginning of the Palestinian Authority, since 1996 when we were established. And the international community has, I wouldn't say ignored PMW, but they didn't start treating the Palestinian Authority like a terror organization, like it should have been treated. And because of that, the Palestinian Authority continues. If you allow a terror organization to get away with it, that will just continue. If you allow an organization that incites, promotes hatred, calls people Nazis, you allow them to get away with it, they'll keep doing it. Well, the European Union and most of the Western European countries are still funding the Palestinian Authority. So why should they change? And that's why I blame them for the continuation of this hate rhetoric of this demonization, and in many respects, I, and I've told this to European leaders when I've been in their countries, i said that you, by funding the Palestinian Authority and ignoring all of this, you are essentially responsible, directly responsible for the continuation of the conflict. By not holding them accountable, they continue to do what they want, and they continue poisoning their children, they continue abusing their children. Like I say, the PA cannot do this, the Palestinian Authority cannot do this without foreign funding, and therefore those foreign governments that continue to fund are really responsible for this. The bright side is the United States, under President Trump, two years ago, uh, finally cut off all funding to the Palestinian Authority because they pay salaries to terrorists who are in prison. And that was an important step. Uh, it was followed by Australia doing it. And recently, I traveled to the Netherlands, spoke to members of parliament there, and just last week, the Netherlands announced that they also were cutting off all funding to the Palestinian Authority. So international community does listen. Sometimes it takes too long, but the Europeans really are not listening, and they, like I say, they are terribly responsible for terrible things that are still happening. Edomar, that's a great report on the response to your organization's work and revealing to the world what the Palestinian media is really saying. But I guess, bottom line, Palestinian media is simply a propaganda machine, is it not? It's a propaganda machine for the international community to spread lies about Israel. But worse than that, it's internally, it's an indoctrination of hate machine, which is the worst kind of propaganda, indoctrinates hatred, makes children fear Israelis, fear Jews. They believe that Jews, for example, they've been told on children's programs that Jews are descendants of monkeys and pigs, Jews are the enemies of Allah, Jews are cursed of Allah, Jews are Satan. Why would a Palestinian child want to grow up and befriend a Jew if this is what he's been taught? So this is why it's much, much worse than standard propaganda. This is uh, indoctrination and literally poisoning the minds of their people. Itamar, thank you so very much. Folks, if you've been eavesdropping on this conversation, you realize how key it is to have Itamar, who heads up Palestinian Media Watch, to come along and give us detailed, exact, truthful information 
of what the Palestinian media is really saying and how they're using this to accomplish their goals. Itamar, thank you so very much. Appreciate it. We'll have another conversation down the road. Always nice to be with you, Jimmy. Well, there is another region of the world that is key for our understanding of current events, political activities, because they are all setting the stage for prophecy to be fulfilled. That would be the European Union area. John Rood, just back from Germany, is going to now update us on what's happened in the last week since we talked. And John, let me begin, if you will with the fact that uh, there is a lot of conversation about NATO is as good as dead. NATO, of course, the military operation for the European Union. What do you know about that? Well, the French President Macron, his statement a week or two ago uh, that NATO referring to as being brain dead, uh, this is a very persistent uh, statement, and now it has set off a lot of reaction before the 70-year a celebration of NATO next week in London. So the main leaders will be there, and the EU is doing quite a bit of shifting in this area. Is NATO dead? There are some real arguments that there can be serious changes, particularly in the uh, Article 5, where if an attack against one of the NATO members, we have 29 member nations in NATO, Attack against one is considered an attack against all the others. Patrick Buchanan, you know, politician, writer, uh, who I respect, he's really questioned indeed if Russia were to attack Estonia, for example, would the United States uh, want to risk an all-out war with Russia? Uh, Would European allies join in and declare war on Russia? Sooner or later, a scenario like that could happen. NATO is becoming more and more precarious. I would say, though, Jimmy, that, you know, from my perspective of being in Brussels for the many, many years, that there has not been pro-USA sentiment. We shouldn't be, in fact, surprised. The European press in Belgium rarely, if almost never, has a pro-USA comment. And so there's an attitude to deal with here, and it's going to come out in the playing field of NATO. And NATO, of course, established for the purpose of protecting the European Union, especially from Russia. We have continued to cover the situation in Brexit. Not much movement lately, but uh, we get word from France and Germany. They are proposing a European Union overhaul after Brexit. They've kind of wanted to do this anyway, haven't they? Yes, this is an extremely important development, which would just be sort of normally in the background. France and Germany is often referred to as the motor, which runs the entire European Union. And so using this context of Brexit, they're calling for a conference on the future of Europe. Now, this is interesting because it's been done before. And so this would be a two-year process focusing on the member states would be closely involved in some type of reflection on Europe's future. Well, we know how this works. They've done it before, and so it basically only serves to reinforce the current EU position. We know that it's extremely undemocratic and that these two years would simply form a new Europe, a reinvention, I would call it. So the the EU has seen a positive effect 
by declaring themselves broken, so therefore they need a radical fix, which allows them to bring to the table some of the ideas that are circulating, and it ends up in what um, an EU that would be reinvented. I believe, actually, that our topics here are related, that this two-year conference on the future of Europe will bring a stronger European Union presence for defense, and there will certainly be in this time some type of expectation for a central army. And therefore, if we have another scenario that there could be more nations that would split from the European Union, which would be fitting prophetically, especially those that are not willing to go with a political union. So it's all related, our conversation. Yeah, and a rework of the European Union could well come about as the fulfillment of prophecy, Daniel chapter 7, a revived Roman Empire. John, it's always great to talk to with you. You give us great insight into what's going on in a key region of our world prophetically. So thank you so much. We'll have another conversation real soon. Thank you. My pleasure to examine this with you. We're going to take a break. When we come back after the news, I'll have one more conversation. That's upcoming with David James. We're going to talk about evangelism's movement toward acceptance of same-sex attraction. That's right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're moving into the last 30 minutes of the 90 minutes that I request each week from you so that we can present all the current events happening in this world and then get insight from our broadcast partners to help us understand how these events really are exciting to get us involved in understanding the urgency of the moment and what is taking place. We are going to have our School of Prophets conference. It's upcoming starting Monday evening, going through Thursday afternoon. Still time for you to register. If you go to our website, prophecytoday.com, the banner up top the home page will give you all the information. You could even come on over. Maybe call us. Let us know that you're coming so we can save a place for you to stay on these couple of days at the School of Prophets conference. David James is coming in, having just returned from Hungary. He'll be here for the time of study starting Tuesday morning. I'll be teaching through my last part of my series, looking at Bible prophecy in every book in the Bible, and David James will be looking at God's plan through the ages. You don't want to miss any of these conferences. By the way, if you can't come, you can watch live streaming video. That information is on our website as well, prophecytoday.com. Just before I talk with David, let me give you the poll question. It's on my home page, prophecytoday.com. On the left-hand column, scroll down. Here's the question. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, it says that in the last days, men and women will be unthankful. Even in light of a national celebration of Thanksgiving, do you think our nation is moving towards the fulfillment of Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2? We'd appreciate it if you'd answer the poll question. It's located at prophecytoday.com. 
We now bring to these microphones David James for our weekly conversation. And this time, we catch up with David on his way back to the United States. David, over the past several days, you brought several articles to my attention about a disturbing trend that we're seeing within evangelicalism. And this is the trend that is moving towards increasing acceptance and normalization, by the way, of same-sex attraction, homosexuality, and, of course, related issues. Before we get into some of the details, what can you tell us about this overall trend in general? Well, Jimmy, honestly, it's not a topic that I like to spend a lot of time on, but I do think it's important for us to deal with it as different news stories come out so we can help our listeners to stay informed. And so I went back to a couple of different surveys uh, that came out over the past several years, going back to one by the Pew Research Center. It was a survey that tracked acceptance of homosexuality within the broad Christian community from 2007 to 2014, and there were some dramatic shifts in just that seven-year period. For example, among all Christians of all denominations combined, not talking about necessarily evangelicals, but of all denominations, there was an increase of acceptance of homosexuality as a lifestyle from uh, 44% in 2007 to 54% in 2014, and that represents roughly a 23% increase in just seven years. But for evangelicals, uh, although the actual numbers are fewer for those who accept gay marriage, the percentage increase is actually dramatically higher. It was at 36% in 2014, which makes it up from 26%, making it a full uh, 38% higher. So it's being accepted at a higher rate among evangelicals, and that's certainly disturbing. Another survey that came out last year showed a dramatic generational shift concerning views towards same-sex marriage. For example, among evangelicals aged 54 to 90, about 26% favor same-sex marriage, which I personally still think represents a serious problem for the Church. But when it comes to those under 54 years old, a full 47% are saying it's they're okay with gay marriage. These are troubling statistics, and the trend is not in the right direction. That is absolute. David, let's get into the article that you sent me about a recent training event at Redeemer Church in Manhattan. That's New York City, of course, where Tim Keller is the pastor. Can you give us some background information on Keller and the church, and maybe some of what what was discussed that concerned you the most? Sure. Well, this comes from an article published last week by Penn and Pulpit, and had carried the title, Tim Keller's Redeemer Church Calls for More Same-Sex Intimacy in Churches. For those not familiar with Tim Keller, he's the 69-year-old retired pastor of uh, that church in Manhattan, a church that has over 5,000 in attendance on a Sunday morning. And in some circles, he's well-known as a theologian and apologist and as a best-selling author. And he's also one of the co-founders of the Gospel Coalition, along with D.A. Carson, another well-known theologian. And uh, the mission of the Gospel Coalition is to encourage and educate, quote-unquote, current and next-generation Christian leaders by advocating gospel-centered principles and practices. 
Now, the author of this article may have had a bit of an axe to grind with Keller when he says uh, the following concerning the Gospel Coalition. It's a political organization which aims to move evangelicals away from their biblical and conservative moorings. Now, that's certainly not the stated goal, but that's this author's take on it. And yet he seems to have some valid concerns uh, when he suggests that apparently a message is being pushed by some that the inclination toward same-sex attraction is possibly inborn and came upon them from their early years. And some say that the same-sex attraction crowd and that these attractions are a cross that God gives some believers to carry and are not sinful in and of themselves. So that's troubling. And and if this is true, this is especially ironic since uh, Tim Keller's church has a history of being theologically conservative to the point that back in 1998, the New York Times ran an article discussing the church's conservative stance against homosexuality and women as ministers. And, you know, a concern would be that if an organization like the Gospel Coalition that has accounts among its heavy hitters and popular teachers, men like Al Mohler, Kevin DeYoung, John Piper, Erwin Lutzer, and others, if they start to question these things concerning uh, the most foundational scriptural teaching, then this could represent a seismic shift within conservative evangelicalism, or we could be heading that way. David, you also sent me an article about a podcast that was featuring three Dallas Theological Seminary professors. They were having a roundtable discussion concerning gender confusion, and this had us concerned about what is happening at at DTS. But as I understand it, when you researched this further, you found that DTS had been somewhat misrepresented. That's right. You know, I'm sure our listeners know that uh, we put a lot of time and effort into researching the topics we discuss each week, and it's always a challenge even to stay within our time constraints. Uh, And it can also be a challenge when we have close relationships with a a particular ministry that we might discuss, and this week is no different because of that recent roundtable discussion that you mentioned at Dallas Theological Seminary. And it came to my attention through this same outlet that I got the other article from, and that's Pulpit and Pen, and it carried the title, Dallas Seminary Profs Say Transgenderism is Given by God. And these three professors were uh, Daryl Bach, who's a senior professor of New Testament at at DTS, Gary Barnes, who's a professor of counseling and a licensed psychologist, and Tim Yoder, who is an associate professor of systematic theology. Now, this article by Penn and Pulpit only contained about four minutes out of a full 59-minute discussion by these three DTS professors. So in prep for today, I read the transcript of the entire discussion, and boy, I'm glad I took time to do that. In his opening remarks, Dr. Bach said, we are continuing our discussion on gender dysphoria and understanding uh, and ministering to people who are of mixed gender background. But as it turns out, these professors were simply trying to think through issues related to ministering to that very tiny minority of people who genuinely struggle with gender identity due to physiological and psychological anomalies that can cause uh, gender lines to be blurred sometimes for physiological reasons. And they clearly attributed these problems to the long-term effects of the fall, just as our congenital birth defects and, and very 
various diseases. And they also made it very clear that acting upon desires outside the moral norms found in the Word of God would be sinful choices and are not legitimate options open to believers. So bottom line, in my opinion, uh, is that the pulpit and pen article was nothing more than an inaccurate hit piece uh, aimed at taking down and giving a bad reputation to Dallas Seminary in an area that they that was not warranted. So I'm glad I did my homework deeper on this, and it's a it's a uh, a warning to others who would engage in this kind of thing to do your research, make sure you get it right. And I'm so glad you did that extra research as well, and what a great exhortation to all of us who may be coming to an understanding of how these trends are troubling in the body of Christ and evangelicalism. Several years ago, David, a young man named Matthew Vines wrote a book entitled God and the Gay Christian. He attempted in the book to show that the Bible actually supports same-sex relationship. And that book along with many more young people openly embracing a gay lifestyle, seems to have had at least some impact, especially upon young people. I think that's true. That book came out in 2014, and I've spoken about it all over the world, actually, as one of the sections of my course on current theological issues. And as sort of a follow-up to the book, he and a lesbian friend of his produced a video in which they supposedly give seven Bible-based reasons for same-sex relationships. And I, let me just note a couple of them to, to show how off the wall they are. Their main argument was that since some same-sex couples get treated badly by Christians and it's harmful to them, this is bad fruit, and is therefore evidence that God is okay with homosexuality. It's, I call this, you hurt my feelings defense. It's crazy. Uh, they also try to argue that the complete destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19 wasn't primarily about homosexual behavior, even though the text of Genesis, as well as commentary in Second Peter and Jude, contradict this. It says it's very clearly a sexual problem. They also try to argue that the term homosexual wasn't even invented in English until the 1800s, but the English word is irrelevant since the Greek word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 6 is arsenokoites, which means a man who has sexual relations with another man. So every one of their arguments just fall apart, and the Bible very clearly teaches against homosexual behavior. Well, let me bring up this as we conclude our conversation. A recent major study came out of the United Kingdom a couple of months ago, which seems to have closed the door on the debate concerning the existence of a gay gene, which is what we would expect biblically, correct? That's right, and it's hard to believe, but it was actually reported on the PBS a website at the end of August and was based on findings released on the sciencemag.org website. And this was a study involving almost 500,000 participants. And while previous studies have suggested some sort of genetic component in human sexual orientation, this study failed to show anything pointing to underlying genetic causes, at least anything specific. And they said there are just too many variables that affect a wide range of behavior and not just sexuality. And biblically, this is what we'd expect. The fall has had far-reaching effects on our physiology and our psychology, and as a result, we're prone to a wide range of sinful behavior, from lying to cheating to stealing to rebellion and to sexual sins of all kinds. 
And the only solution for any of these behavioral problems is found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And as Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. That is absolute. David, a great conversation. You did great research. I'm glad you did that great research and then exhorted all of us to do that same type of research as well, especially on a subject like this. We need to stay on top of what is happening as it relates to this trend in the church today. Well, thank you so much. Have a safe trip back. We'll talk to you when you come here to Chattanooga next week for our School of Prophets conference. I look forward to it, Jimmy. Thank you. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to open the Bible. We're going to look at the book as it relates to all of the reports from our broadcast partners and see how these current events are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. That's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Our broadcast partners had key reports today on current events happening around the world that may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. You know, we can surely be thankful for these reports and the evidence that the Bible tells us what will happen next, which is the rapture of the church, and that rapture could happen at any moment. Well, that's normally how I close out a look at the book. We'll do that at the end in just a moment. 
But I want you to think about all of these very informative reports uh, that we got from our broadcast partners. They encouraged us by what they had to say, giving us evidence of where we are, the urgency of the moment as it relates to the rapture and the return of Jesus to take his church to be with him forevermore. If you have the opportunity and you missed any of the reports from our broadcast partners, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you'll find all of these reports from my broadcast partners. They will be very interesting to you and informative, and of course, letting us know the urgency of the moment. In light of that, why don't you send these reports along, or at least the link to these reports on my website, prophecytoday.com. Send that link along to your friends, to those you know who are interested in Bible prophecy and may not have been able to hear this broadcast. They will be encouraged as well and thankful for these reports. You know what you'll find at PTRN Today? Ken Timmerman, who covers geopolitical events happening around the world for us, told us that Iran is poised to attack the United States and Israel. Now, that seemingly sounds like old news, but this is very urgent as we understand really what is going on. Though the United States is not mentioned in Bible prophecy, Iran and Israel are, and in the alignment of nations to destroy the Jewish state of Israel, you can determine how this is going to be played out. It's foretold in Psalm 83, Ezekiel 38, and Daniel chapter 11. At the border between Syria and Iraq, United States troops are being massed. The Kurds are coming in from northern Iraq And, of course, the Israeli Defense Force is going to be on the scene to assist the United States and protect themselves from this attack by Iran. It's almost as if Iran and the United States are face-to-face. They have just moved into the Persian Gulf, a United States aircraft carrier group there in the Persian Gulf to protect the troops from the United States and those others that are involved against Iran. David Dolan also gave us a report on the Middle East. He talked about the country of Jordan involved this week in a military exercise to prepare for a war with Israel. Jordan has been involved in many wars against the Jewish state over the years. However, In the Gog-Magog battle, that would be Ezekiel chapter 38, Jordan will not be destroyed by the Antichrist. That's found in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 41. When the Antichrist comes into the glorious holy land, the land of the Bible, he goes to the north, wipes out Syria, comes back down that coast, which would be the Golden Heights, and then he goes into Jordan, which is referred to there in Daniel chapter 11, verses 41 and following, as Ammon, Moab, and Edom. That's modern-day Jordan. The Antichrist does not destroy Jordan because of the fact that that's where Petra is located, there in the southern portion of modern-day Jordan, which in biblical times was known as Edom. 
The reason for that is from God, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 6. He has prepared a place to protect the Jewish people, and that place is Petra. Winky Madad gave us an update on the Israeli election process, and then we talked about the thoughts that Winky had on the U.S. policy change on Jewish settlements. They are legal according to the United States decision and pronouncement. The elections still are up in the air. Most likely, there's going to be a third election. That's about all we can say at this time. But Winky talked about the U.S. policy change on the Jewish settlements key to Bible prophecy. Study the book of Ezekiel chapter 36, where the Lord talks about the land that he has given the Jewish people. And that area, referred to as the West Bank, really Judea and Samaria, is key to the security and the promises of God to the Jewish people. Edomar Marcus gave us a report on the Palestinian Day of Rage. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict is some 4,000 years old. The conflict between Jacob and Esau, Genesis chapter 25, is now being played out in the end times from passages that report the scenario, like Malachi chapter 1, Ezekiel 35, and the little book of Obadiah. And John Rood had a report from the European Union. His headline was, NATO is as good as dead. Remember, NATO was established to protect the European Union from Russia. The European Union at this time has no military protection. However, the European Union is going to be ultimately the revival of the old Roman Empire, and at that time, they will have a military operation. David James and I had our weekly conversation. We talked about the growing trend in the church today towards acceptance of same-sex attraction and transgender lifestyle. Read Romans chapter 1. Just read it and understand what the Lord is telling us about that type of lifestyle. It foretells of this trend in the last days, and every day this trend is increasing. All of the reports from our broadcast partners today is evidence that God's plan is coming to pass and seemingly in the very near future. The next event on God's plan for the end times is the rapture of the church. And by the way, there is no prophecy that has to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church. And having said that, there's basically nothing else for me to say except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.